Africa Business Report on The Money Show. So, Victor Homeswana, I know you've been very busy this evening. You missed our tricky Tuesday question of the week, which is about uh, all about the cost of living in various cities around the world. The latest Mercer research comes out. The two most expensive cities in which to live in the world for expatriates are... Luanda in Angola, but you knew that already because it was at number one last year. And then Jamina in Chad, moving up from position number four last year to position number two this year. Um, This tells us that Africa is an expensive place to do business. You need to add another chapter to your book. Well, listen to those two countries, Bruce. Oil economies, both of them, not as advanced. They are not ranked highly on the ease of doing business if you follow the... World Bank ease of doing business, but because of the inflow of investment and interest from all over, the unfortunate consequence is that the cost of living shoots up, yes. But it's, not, it's no longer a, a universal rule that you can apply across African cities. There are those that are highly, very, very expensive, and I've been to Luanda. I haven't been to Chad, but Luanda one I can vouch for. Everything just about shoots up. Unfortunately, if you're looking for business, that's what you're going to do. But then there are countries there are countries that are not that expensive, almost average. But Bruce, the essence of it is the infrastructure makes it difficult. Getting around the cities is is expensive because you spend too much time on the road. And then of course when you consider whole other things that are that are not yet as advanced, yes, it explains it. But that's what happens when you are looking when you're hunting with a whole lot of other people, I guess, that demand also tends to be high. Absolutely right. I mean, hotel rooms, very, very expensive in places like Luanda, eating out in places like Luanda, simply existing as a foreigner in a place like Luanda uh, is a reputation to be very, very expensive. Uh, The GSMA annual survey, this is all about mobile money. And of course, Africa is a world leader in terms of mobile money, transferring money between accounts using cell phones. And it's a landscape that is, not surprisingly, I suppose, becoming increasingly competitive. Exactly. And think about it. We're talking about a backlog now in roads and whatever. We used to talk about backlog in telephony and communications. Now, 36 out of 47 countries in the sub-Saharan region have mobile money. That's a huge percentage. But the interesting thing is this survey found that in 2008, Tanzania only had 1% of the population, the adult population with access to mobile financial services. Thanks to m in 2013, September, there were 90%. 90% of the population, and that tells you something. So 43% of the adult population actively using this service, and I experienced it myself in Dar es Salaam when we didn't have credit cards and anything. My host just said, do you take M-Pesa? This is way back in 2011 already, so it's not surprising. Mobile money, just one of those beautiful African innovation stories. And proof, Bruce, that you can get a British company collaborating with an African company <laughs> to find a solution to the, solu- the problems of Africa. That, that gives me hope because it means there's place, there's room for everyone to play in this uh, booming African economy that we talk about. One of my favorite inventions of the last 18 months in the wireless space has been this little wireless hotspot by Huawei Technologies. These are guys who are also looking at uh, developing 4G networks with Safaricom in Kenya. Huawei really are shaking up the telecommunications tree on the continent, aren't they? They have already. Remember, they built the national optical fiber backbone for the country in 2011. This is Kenya. And they built Safaricom's 2G and 3G networks. Now, they are going up to 4G, which is what is normally called long-term evolution as well. It's just indicating, and the company, not surprising, is Safaricom, the very one that's credited.
with the innovation that is Mpesa. So the, the upgrade, Bruce, simply means Safaricom wants to stay ahead and make sure that whatever innovation, whatever solution it offers its clients will not be compromised by a lack of speed or anything. So first or fourth generation network in Kenya, I, I really think you and I should just pick the two cities, Nairobi and Johannesburg, and see in a real show <laughs> showdown who has better connectivity. We can, we, we can send Aki with a one-way <laughs> ticket to Nairobi. Maybe he can stay he's there. Come back. He's uh, not going to need a return ticket if Aki is the techie that I know. Exactly. Now he'll have, he'd have a ball in Nairobi. It sounds like he'd have an absolute ball. Um, yeah. Another company, and again, it's the one I always say it, Ethiopia keeps taking me by surprise. I don't know why I keep getting surprised. Yeah. But I look at the fleet that Ethiopian Airlines is building, and it's putting many other African uh, countries' airlines to shame. Yeah, and I've been on this. You know what they call their loyalty program, Bruce? Cloud Nine. <laughs> and when, you, when you're flying to Ethiopia on Ethiopian Airlines, you are on Cloud Nine. Now, this time they are adding Boeing 787 Dreamliner number eight already. Remember, they were the first to bring the 787 to Africa. So they are adding number eight because of the demand. This one is going to increase the number of flights between London, Heathrow, and Addis Ababa. And that just shows you we're looking the other way. The CEO here is saying we're not looking back. We are very, very much in a growth mode. And if you haven't been on an Ethiopian Airlines flight, you don't know what you're missing. Oh, I'm delighted to hear it. And if you want to go to Liberia, you better not have booked a ticket on Delta <laughs> Airlines because they're canning flights yeah. um, between Liberia and the United States. Um, there's been lots of good sort of political noises between the two countries in recent years with Ellen Johnson, Sir Leaf, and it's all been warm and fuzzy. Yeah. But there just isn't the business there. No, but you know what that tells us? Because America and Liberia have a, have a very long relationship that goes back. The pre- president herself was educated there. She has a lot of credibility. What that tells you, if you remember, we spoke last week about the Japanese investors in Liberia. We spoke about the Indians coming in to invest, and we talk about the Chinese. Perhaps that what, what it's telling you is that this low demand of flights between you as the U.S. And, and Monrovia is indicative that the trade direction is not in the westerly direction, but is going eastward. And, and I, I've been watching with a lot of interest, even the president herself, when she does her economic diplomacy, Bruce, she goes to India. She was in India last year, and she also went to Japan. So maybe that's just an indication. But Delta Airlines is saying, well, since January, August the 31st, we are no longer flying to Liberia, but we are willing if there are ways of working something out. I don't know what they're going to work out if the demand is not there. Now, give me a sense, please, of what is going on with platinum mines in Zimbabwe. We've had the threats there of indigenization. Uh, we've seen some compliance by platinum miners. Impala Platinum, of course, owns Zimplats in uh, in that country. What is going on with the 15% levy that's been imposed yeah. uh, on the sale of minerals from Zimbabwe? Yeah, this you know, it's the Minister of Mines now saying if you are exporting raw platinum, which is being exported to South Africa for some refinery, you are going to pay a 15% levy from, from January, I think, that started. So the mining companies, the the the, implants, the implants, the Aquarius of the world, are saying, you know, already the platinum amounts to just over 16% of your GDP. That is mining, sorry. And if you are going to take one of the strategic resources, platinum, and are subject to this kind of levy, when you don't have investment in Zimbabwe to refine, you might be taking a knock. But you know what? In the long term, I believe, is what African miners generally, anybody who mines on the African continent should know. If you are looking to do the traditional export raw minerals, 
you are going to run into difficulties like this one. The, the objection I have to the Zimbabwean story is the landscape keeps changing far too frequently. So it's very difficult to predict what the landscape is going to be on the policy front, and that might be the problem. But otherwise, I can tell you it's not going to get better. You're going to see more and more African countries insisting on value-adding activities in their countries rather than just allowing you to export the raw minerals. We so desperately need it in South Africa. And I was making the comparison between the economies of Argentina and the United States. Circa 1900, when the United States was industrializing and adding value to its commodities and its exports, and Argentina was happy to export the raw materials. And Argentina is not exactly in the upper echelons of global economics nowadays. Nedbank has got a couple of months to decide whether or not it's going to put in an offer to buy a stake in EcoBank, which is the biggest bank on the African continent. And they do things quite well, I think. They're they're pretty well-run business. They are going to have to buy a stake. The EcoBank is not a small player on the continent. But what they're doing, again in Liberia, they were meeting with Chinese business people, which is what we were talking about, isn't it? that the traffic is more from China, from India, from Japan. So this is just an organization that says if bilateral transactions between China and Africa were estimated at 210 billion U.S. dollars last year, there's no way that we cannot have a, a participation of China in the economy. So they were showcasing to the Chinese what solutions they are offering. Remember, China wants to do business on the continent. EcoBank, on the other hand, has the largest footprint in terms of the number of countries they operate. So you don't have to be a rocket scientist to figure out what direction this discussion is going. So that's why I don't think, I don't see how a net bank would be refraining from doing something. I don't know, but I just don't see how when they don't have the footprint on the continent that the other big four banks have, they would be shying away from this one. But the Chinese are already sniffing around, Bruce. That means there's going to be a lot of activity and excitement in this space. Victor Homeswano with the Africa Business Report. He's our Africa Business Correspondent. Thanks, Victor. Um, If you want to get uh, the third episode of Victor talking all about his book, Africa is Open for Business, follow at Radio 702 on Twitter or you go to the Facebook page, Talk Radio 702's Facebook page, and uh, the third episode of Victor's chat all around Africa is open for business is there.